0: Hello and welcome to The Rabbit Hole, the definitive developer's podcast in fantabulous Chelsea, Manhattan. I'm your host, Michael Nunez. Our co-host today, Dave Anderson. And our producer, William Jeffries. And today, we'll be talking about death by a thousand ifs. Ouch. Yeah, the, it sounds pretty painful as it is, which so is. a Bad way to go. Yes, definitely. Either that or a window. So yeah. I don't know. <laughs> <What> <laughs> I'll, are the I'll take the ifs, I
1: guess, maybe. Yeah. I, I don't know.
0: Yeah, thousand ifs are pretty bad to see in a code base. And today we'll be talking about what to do when you actually see them, what are some of the problems of that, and maybe some solutions on how to remedy that. But before I continue, we have a special guest the one, the only, Jacob O'Donnell.
2: Jacob, how's it going? It's going pretty good. Awesome. Jacob, could you tell us a little bit about yourself t- uh, to our listeners? Sure. Well, my name is Jacob. I'm going to reiterate that. And I have been programming since I was a baby. Right? When I was a baby, <laughs> I started programming and yeah. I've been pretty much doing interpreted languages. Um, couple. Sometimes I do static. Sometimes people say, why don't you do TypeScript? And I'm like, oh, all right. <laughs> uh, you know, other than that, yeah, I'm, I'm a consultant at Stride and yeah, that's me.
0: Yeah, well I imagine since you were a baby, you've seen a lot of if statements.
2: Oh boy, back back then people loved ifs when I was a baby. You know, it's the first thing I learned as a baby. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> is that your first word?
0: If <laughs>
1: For,
0: Tell us a little bit about that. You go into a code base as a contractor, as a consultant, as a developer, we're starting a new job, and you you just you're blindsided by the amount of ifs. To, tell us how does that play out in your mind
2: yeah typically what i what i see is like i'll open you know someone will be giving me sort of a tour of the code base and they often sort of hit this file they're like okay so this is you know this is one of our main files and they open it up and right away you see just like tons of like ifs and conditional logic and wrap that in some more control statements and you know right away it's a little bit like oof you know this you can tell it's like the sign it's the first sign of a a, a troubled
3: code base and they they always want to explain it like Okay, well, so the reason why we did this, <laughs> I mean, there's like a, yeah, I mean, they know. Yes, there, there's, yeah. there's history. They know. Yeah.
2: You're right. There is always an explanation. They, they go into it and they, they feel a little guilty opening the file. They sort of haunt paw a bit, but. I mean, there's, the, there's, there's mean. the prime directive,
1: you know, like they did the best they could mm-hmm. at the time with the tools they had and all that
0: good fun stuff.
3: Every insane line of code is a perfectly sane response to an insane situation. Love it, love these adages. <laughs> <laughs> mm-hmm.
0: but yes, but then the code still has a thousand ifs. At the end of the day, <laughs> still has a thousand
2: ifs, and and it's 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 a hard hole to get out of because when you go in there, I mean, like it's just so incomprehensible. Like often the conditionals have like six ands or ors to them, and to deconstruct to like figure out what any part does takes so long. Like it just takes forever, and even then you're kind of unsure. and Maybe you sprinkle some console logs or whatever your print statement of choice is and you start to be like, okay, I think during my execution right now, this is where I need to be and this is good enough. But it's still always like, you get in there and you go, oh no, we're we're in trouble. And it's,
1: it's when you see something like that also, it can be tempting if you have some business you need to do. You have some critical feature you need to get out there. The pattern's already there. There's a thousand ifs. And I mean, you're already going to die from a
0: thousand. So a thousand and one is is not a big deal. Who's going to notice? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's that's the, the thing I wanted to talk about. Because, you know, people don't often just start writing if statements all over the place. I imagine like it slowly gets added on and on. And then oh, so we'll just add one more if. It'll be fast. We can make this feature out right now. Boom. There goes the fifth one. 10, 20 thousands
3: of it's it's the broken window effect
0: pretty much it's just like oh there's one broken let's add another one break more windows it can be tough too like if
1: because sometimes those developers will be recognized as like being the rock stars they're the 10x developers who are getting things done so quickly someone asks them to do something and it's just out the door amazing but you know they've also 10x the number of complicated logic points and other Craziness.
3: Yeah. Cyclomatic complexity.
2: Mm-hmm. And I've also seen, I, I feel like in code bases where I've seen that, there tends to not be a lot of discipline about abstracting sort of concepts out. So you'll see the same if in tons of different files, like the same sort of almost a hack, like rather than like abstracting this concept to like, okay, you know, th- this client has permission. They'll go to every single sort of like point where... That might need to happen and say, unless it's this client.
1: Mm, yeah, yeah, that's true. And I guess to, to build on the point that you were saying before, cyclometric complexity, in case people aren't familiar with that, that's like a numerical measure of how many possible branches you can go down with your thousand ifs. And if you have a thousand ifs, it's at least a thousand. But if you have those thousand and or ors on top of that, then it's going to be exploding on top of that even more. There's, what, like one per and or or? Is that, is that how cyclomatic Wouldn't it works? go
3: up like exponentially? Because like, so if you have one if statement, there are two code paths. But if there are two if statements, then it could be true, true, or true, false, or false, false, or oh, false, true. That's
1: true. I was thinking of the else if. if right. It's, if right. it's just the regular if, then yeah. buckle up. <laughs> <laughs> uh,
2: are all if statements bad that's an interesting question i mean definitely not but but it is it's, it's actually hard to put your finger on like when it becomes bad like what I, I was actually trying to think about this like what makes an if good or bad and i i really struggled actually like the, you know the, one of the few things i could come up with is like you have to you, you really want to kind of take take like that whatever whatever that Boolean logic is in, in name it so that you do, like the the reader doesn't need to sort of reconstruct wh- what does this mean when I've anded these three or four variables but beyond that and like the simple fact of like let's not have too many i had I had a hard time thinking like what makes a good if
3: I think there's a sandy medstock where she she explains how she actually came from small talk where there are no ifs and she found that actually by Coding without ifs at all, even in languages that have that language feature, the code gets to be cleaner. I don't know that I could actually program with no ifs.
2: Be an interesting exercise. I actually just watched that talk. It was her Rails Conf 2015, I think. It, yeah, I mean that's a it's a crazy thing to think about to program without ifs, and I think you just need to to really up your your object oriented game. Which that's a separate
3: topic. I feel like <laughs> objects
2: are in decline, but save that for another day. <laughs>
3: yeah it seems like there are a lot of different classes of problem where ifs tend to be used or abused, like you know I mean we talked about some, but there's also the uh null problem where there are nulls throughout your code base and you always have to check there's type checking that's another one that's pretty closely related mm. is instance yeah there's All the, the time. permissions one which you got to already are there any others?
1: I mean, it's really easy to code business logic in an like, cause if, if I'm a business then <laughs> I'm making decisions and my de- decisions are important and you know, that's, that's how I get that really complicated, nasty thing. Like if the price is over $20, but less than $30, then I'm going to apply this baseline rate. Otherwise it's going to be this thing. And it's like, Oh wow.
3: Like yeah. you really
1: need to have deep understanding in order to parse that code.
3: Especially if they're giving it to you in like a control flow. Like here is the flow chart. Here's the diagram that shows what you do in different scenarios and the words, you know, if yes or if no appear throughout.
2: Right. We we speak with if. If is like an English word. People don't speak with object-oriented methods. They don't say, uh, <laughs> you know, like, uh, I, I don't even can't think of something on top of my head. But, but it's very natural to describe that. So, when someone just sort of says, like, okay, well, if it does this, else it does this, then it's very
3: easy to translate that directly into code. Actually, I think that maybe one way that you could talk about this in an object-oriented way is by describing attributes of an object. So I'm thinking in my head of a stool which has three legs and a chair which has four legs. So you could use Boolean logic and say, if chair, then four, if stool, then three. Or you could use duck typing, and you could have a chair that responds to a legs count method and a stool that responds to a legs count method. And you could say... Chairs have three legs, stools have four legs, and you've avoided your if.
2: I think when, and when, when you're dying for an object there is when you start seeing that same logic spread across the code base, but not necessarily for number of legs, but other attributes of chairs and stools. Like if you have somewhere else in the code base, like what's another property of, of seats? Comfort level, right? And if you say if stool comfort level is seven, and if chair comfort level is twenty because those are real comfortable things like that's that's really crying out for an object you can you can refactor that and have two messages, and you've now got this place for information to collect about sitting objects
3: so uh, it seems like we're starting to transition into into solutions here what are what are some remedies or or you know what is the medicine that will save your life from? death by a thousand ifs
0: don't be the person to add the thousand and one if really 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 try and stop yourself from oh just one more wouldn't hurt a bit like be the change that you want to see in the code base (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> and make the change don't like you know i think uh jacob mentioned earlier having you know rather than having this really long ends or ors checking for whether it's true or false to like actually have a constant that describes what you're what you're getting so that the developer after you doesn't have to spend time reading and trying to understand this bullion thing right but try to avoid being a
1: thousand and one like that could. it's that could, always like kind of hard cuz like the classic naming problem and like if you give it a bad name then that may be worse than no name at all sometimes if it's just like my condition 1 and my condition 2 then you know future generations may question
2: <laughs> your wisdom <laughs> a bad name is usually better than a complicated if statement would be my argument i mean maybe not my condition 1 that might, that might be pushing <laughs> it but uh but usually, if you just try a little bit, you can beat out the just like, you know, oring and anding, whatever variables you already had ready. Yeah, that's that's true. I,
1: I was trying pretty hard to be a terrible <laughs> name.
0: And if you do see a bad variable name and you somehow figured out a more clearer name to put, then make that change, too, so that the next person can then iterate on the variable name and everyone gets to
2: understand it at the end of the day. One thing I wonder, though, is when you say, like, don't add that one thousand one if, like that, I feel like that's actually pretty tricky because, like, th- then what are you talking about? How do you, how do you solve that? Like, to me, I mean, uh, and we should talk about that. but But I think more importantly, don't add that 10th if. Like, the moment your spider sense starts tingling and you're like, this is starting to be bad, that's when you need to address it. And that's when, you know, before it becomes a pattern. But what should you do when it's 1001? Like can you can't really stop what you're doing for 2 weeks and <laughs> refactor a giant thing? No.
0: <laughs> no, I think yeah. I mean like I would I wouldn't say like refactor the whole thing cuz then that would take 2 weeks to do, but you know, try to chip down the mountain of ifs down and maybe have it into like if it's nested way too deep, then maybe you can take a piece of the nested if and make that into a function and slowly bubble up the nested if as so that it doesn't become nested anymore.
3: Yeah, yeah. I think that uh, method abstraction. Yeah, I think that method abstraction is a powerful tool for combating methods that have become infected with a proliferance of ifs.
1: Yeah, finding a seam and then maybe breaking it into. Three different parts. So then you have three methods with 300 ifs, which maybe, <laughs> or 333. And then you have to decide which one that has 30, 334.
2: Yeah, is that yeah. Michael Feathers reference there? <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I mean, that's actually, you know, that's an important, if you're dealing with the situation, um, what's the name of the book, Dealing with Legacy Code or something? Like, right. it's an excellent book for how, how to come out of that.
1: Yeah, I think we've talked about this on the podcast too about like uh, tech debt. We have a great episode on that. And we were talking about like, Prioritizing when you should even attack this thing because maybe this this piece of the code base never changes and it it works and you have things that you have to do so maybe you shouldn't go down that path if you have some some other thing that you need to work on but if there is churn and there is complexity because there's a thousand ifs then that's a good time to to jump in there and start
2: refactoring yeah the Boy Scout rule right just make it a little bit better than when you left it there you go
3: yeah I think also hashes are often a good pattern. Like, there are times when what you really need is a data object. You need another type of data object in order to encapsulate what's going on. Because it's not really a logic problem. It's not like different behavior needs to happen in different scenarios. It's that the same behavior needs to to happen with different data. Yeah,
1: yeah. In Python, you don't even get a case statement. They just don't want it. You just get a hash and you have to stuff your logic in there through callbacks or whatever. No object
2: pattern, also handy. Great for getting rid of ifs, which I've actually, you know, I, I I think it's a great idea, but I'm not sure I've ever seen it in the wild. Could you talk a little bit more about that? Yes.
3: Yeah, so the idea is that if you have a dog class and the dog class can speak and it says woof, but sometimes you want... In your application for there not to be a dog, rather than having places where in your code where you check and see if the dog is there, and if it's a n- if it's a null or undefined or a nil, then you return an empty string. You can create a second class called the null dog or the no dog, you know whatever, however you want to name it in order to make it clearest, and then you give that method a you you give that object a speak method, and it says empty string. And so, then, instead of returning an undefined when you can't find the dog, you return a no dog.
0: Mm, Oh, Um, interesting. So you avoid the idea of checking what it is by just asking to wolf in this example, and the class itself would then either return the the sound or an empty string because it's not a dog.
3: Yeah, the idea is that your methods should always be called. Like if you call speak. The, like, if if you are planning on calling speak, then call speak. Don't check and make sure that there's a dog there that you can call speak on. Right. Just call it and make sure that there's always something that responds to speak.
1: Right. And uh, ad- adhering to that same contract where it is a string and it's not returning none or null.
3: Yeah, exactly.
2: Right. So, you can clean your client code up and you never have to be checking for random things because all that's abstracted into your null object.
0: That's cool. I mean, that's... Uh- That's a really interesting pattern. And I have to say, I don't think I've seen that in the wild either, but it seems like a really good pattern to follow that I should start using if the event I need to start chopping down some ifs.
2: I've actually, I've used it before and people didn't like it. They were unfamiliar with it. They said, I don't, I don't quite get that. Why are you doing that? Why don't you check for if null?" So, I mean, sometimes you can get that. It's, it's, Sometimes with some object-oriented techniques like that, if you're not used to them, it can be jarring.
3: One solution to that that I've found is using a library that makes it really easy. And then when people are like, what is this? I don't understand this pattern. Then they can go and look at the library, see that it's coming from a library, and then go look at the docs. And then the docs explain the pattern for you, and you don't have to justify it yourself. People also feel like, well, I mean, if there's a library for it, then it must be a good idea <laughs> Yeah. Is exactly. Really a good way to think about it, but in this instance it's helpful.
1: Yeah, sometimes you're gonna left bad things. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so what, what should you do like if product or the business is coming to you with this really complicated feature and you just you know it's gonna add more ifs to your code base? Like what what's a good strategy for that?
2: Yeah, I mean I've I've come across that a, a bunch of times where I start to look at the code, and, and I, I, I'm looking at the requirement. And I'm like, this this is going to be problematic with the current way we have things laid out. This is going to I'm going to need to really change, like a, a way a bunch of things kind of work. Yet, if I did it this other way that I I believe still fulfills like the heart of the requirement, then it's going to be like smooth sailing, and we won't have to do a whole lot. And so, I think you know, you always when you see opportunities like that, it's always worth pushing. A little bit, like you know, you want you want your product owner to like you, and you want to be a good person that people get along with. So you don't get much mm, done. Out of rule, yeah, yeah. But if you go up and you say, "Listen, I think that if we just do it this way, it's going to reduce the amount of time I have to spend. It's going to make the code better, and see what they say." And often, often, I've worked with a lot of product owners who are very amenable to to making small changes for time savings, and they go, "Oh, if the code's better, I guess that's good." Yeah, that's totally true, and also like.
1: I mean, they may not, sometimes they know exactly what they want, but sometimes they have an idea of what they want. And this is just one idea. And then there's other ideas that can surface when you have that conversation. And they can be just as happy with this different thing that is pretty much the same. Uh, that's definitely like kind of a trap of like some more junior developers where you get the requirement and the requirement is law and you cannot like have the conversation and. Even find another opportunity for improvement. It's just like okay, well, I'm just going to struggle with this, and you know, add my
2: one more if statement over here. I imagine TurboTax's code base is death by a thousand deaths, right? <laughs> and that's kind of <laughs> you know, they need that. Yeah,
0: if uh, whatever you're married or if you're single, then next, like, oh, <laughs> how many children do you have? If more than one, do that kind mm-hmm. of thing.
3: Yeah, I would love to see TurboTax's code base. <laughs> Yeah <laughs> I think there's a, so there's another remedy that I think can be helpful, and that is static code analysis tools, like code climate will do this. There are other tools out there that will do this, where it'll check the cyclomatic complexity or the ABC score, or you know other, other scores that will tell you in a numeric way exactly how many code paths there are, and you can use that to enforce a limit. Oh, yeah. Especially when you get
1: that grade in Code Climate and it's like, oh, see this? It's not me, but this system tells us that your code is an F. This
3: objective piece of math (laughs) says uh, your code sucks.
2: (laughs) Data. It sucks by 10. Did we get a commission for that? I like that. I mean, no, Code Climate is like. Code, code Climate should pay me a commission. <laughs> I, think <laughs> so. I, yeah, I
1: think so. It, it is pretty nice. But I mean, there are ways to measure it without Code Climate. It's sure. just like a Flaring. very easy way to get involved in that. Because I think underneath the hood, they're, they're using a lot of open source tools that you can access, but it's just shiny.
2: I do think that those tools are sort of brilliant. Like, like linters are a very easy win where. Like when you're doing code reviews or whatever, you no longer have to argue about whether there should be spaces there. The thing just the machine tells you, and you can't argue with the machine. You can you can bring it up to the team and be like, I don't know about this rule, but for the most part, people are just like, I'll just do what the machine tells me. (laughs)
0: I save it, it formats, uh, it's happy, I'm happy. And I think a lot of the times, I think going back to what you guys have mentioned, like co climate can definitely test like the complexity and the amount of nested ifs you have and stuff like that and be able to catch it so that everyone's aware of that and then try to stop you from adding the 11th if not the thousand, but even the 11th, as uh, Jacob mentioned before, when your spidey senses start tingling, even the, you second. Should... Yeah, even the <laughs> second, if you're nesting way too hard, don't nest at all. We get it. Sometimes it's very, very stressful for you to get this feature out. Just try not to do it. You don't <laughs> want to be the cause of a person's death by a thousand if just don't do it. Don't. Jacob's life
2: is precious. Yes. (laughs) I'm at 999 right now. So (laughs) one more F and I'm gone. This is like the blinking heart.
0: (laughs) (laughs) So do we have any teacher learns today we want to discuss?
1: Yeah, I've I've been learning a bit more about API pagination, particularly with GraphQL, but you know, the concepts associated with paginating is pretty broadly applicable. So GraphQL doesn't really have a native pagination uh, method in, like built into it. It's kind of a choose-your-own-adventure. You can do whatever you want with it. Right. So the classic pagination technique, like doing offset and limit, that applies. You can totally do that if you want to. But there's a really popular framework called Relay. So with Relay, they give you an API, like a interface that you have to implement, where you can accept a Cursor, which okay. is uh, kind of something that you're going to be getting everything after or before. And you'll tell it uh, a number of things that you want. So either it's the first number of things, like the first 100 things, okay. or the last 100 things that are, is before that thing. So either, uh, you know, first and after or last and before. And that's how you page left or right.
0: Oh, interesting. So it's the number that you're currently that you want and then anything before or after it based on the number that you want to provide it.
2: Yeah, exactly. So is the cursor like a bookmark in a sense? Like this is where I'm at? So the advantage of that approach is
1: that if you have a data set that's changing very quickly, you won't have the case where when I go to the next page, I will see the same page again. If like you know I'm paging by 100 and 100 items were added to the beginning, then that can be a really jarring user experience. Like You might just want to go to the next page from there.
3: Awesome. Have That's you a- ever been to Pageant? No. What's this? The Pageant Nation? Ah,
1: no, this guy. Oh this guy <laughs> it's, it's no, very, uh, I was worried about a thousand ifs but <laughs> <laughs> it <just> murdered me.
3: <laughs> <laughs> it's very orderly though. The first time I went I found it very upsetting. Oh, oh, god. God. oh god, keep going. Oh god <laughs> 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 all right, all right. Awesome. Awesome. <laughs> awesome.
0: <laughs> Jacob, thank you so much for coming on down.
2: Great to have you here. How can people contact you? People can say hi to me on the street if they see me. I'm very recognizable. (laughs) (laughs) Other than that, you can email me if you want to just send me emails and we'll just be like pen pal emails. My email is Jacob, J-A-C-O-B O'Donnell, O-D-O-N-N-E-L-L at gmail.com. Or you can go to my GitHub, J-O-D-O-N-N-E-L-L. There you go. Right. I'm gonna
1: start all your repos.
2: Awesome. The, <laughs> I've got a million useless repos.
0: Don't worry, they're all getting stars. stars tonight. Don't worry <laughs> about all it. Stars tonight. Awesome. Let's keep the conversation going on Twitter. Follow us now at Radio Free Rabbit. Like what you hear? Give us a five star review. It helps developers just like you find their way into the rabbit hole. And never miss an episode. Subscribe now, however, you listen to your favorite podcast. On behalf of our producer extraordinaire, William Jeffries, and my amazing co host, Dave Anderson, and me, your host, Michael Nunez. Thanks for listening to The Rabbit Hole.